You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, a podcast hosted by me, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps online course creator, consultant, and a Docker captain. This podcast contains clips from my weekly YouTube live show, where I host a real-time Ask Me Anything style chat with guests and anyone who shows up on YouTube chat, many of whom are students of my Docker courses. You can find out more information, including show notes for this episode at brettfisher.com slash podcast. That's B-R-E-T-F-I-S-H-E-R dot com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. In this episode, I talk with the authors of the book Docker in Action, Second Edition. We have a great chat on real-world craziness and running software and challenges with containers. It was a lot of fun, and I've put their book discount code in the show notes. Now on to the show. On the show today, I have two special guests I'm excited to talk about. Uh, the first one right in the middle there is Jeff Nikoloff. He is all in geek on Twitter. You might know him as a Docker captain and one of the co-authors of a fantastic Docker book that we'll get into in a second. Over there on your left is Stephen Kinsley. He is also the co-author of Docker in Action, and you can find him on Twitter as well with his little Twitter handle down there at the bottom. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Brett. So I'm glad to have you here. Sorry that we were running a little bit late, had some technical difficulties, as always is on this show. I should just rename it to Technical Difficulties. <laughs> that should be the better, the better stuff. So let me introduce these guys to you real quick because uh, uh, we've, been talk- we've been planning on this for over a month, having them on the show. Uh, Jeff jumped in headfirst into the container space in May 2013 when he was still at Amazon. And after several public speaking engagements, he was approached to write Docker in action and then ditched his job at Amazon to pursue that full-time. Along the way, he became a Docker captain, uh, and he's calling in from Oregon Coast, where he's escaping standard responsibilities to hack out on a new project for Topple, the consulting company that he runs now. Welcome to the show. And we've and Stephen, who you might wonder, you can see a little bit of his big old fish on the wall back there. Uh, he's an avid fisherman. <laughs> challenges most people, uh, or sorry, reading the wrong thing. Stephen helps businesses grow on AWS securely. So that's going to be a topic today, talking all about uh, container security, often by automating the deployments of applications in containers on ECS. He is the co-author and the, of the second edition of the Docker in Action with Jeff and distilling five years of experience of delivering containerized applications. So perfect panel on the show today. We're, we're all doing containers. We're all doing distributed stuff. And we've got a ton of topics to talk about. But um, first, to those of you watching live, reminder that we take questions live. So that means you get to throw live chat questions in. And later on in the show, if you stick around long enough, we will pick out the, the questions. And if they're actually on topic, we will have a great conversation about them, hopefully, that we will find useful. And of course, you can always watch this later in case you got to go back to your job or your lunch breaks over or whatever, uh, or we get boring and you just want to fast forward later. Um, you can basically come back to this same URL or the same channel. So you want to subscribe to this channel, click the like button uh, and that little dinner bell looking thing. If you click that, then you'll get notified every time we go live each week. So I think the first topic here is like, can you talk a little bit about your experience with deploying containers? And, you know, we've all been doing it, it sounds like, for years. Um, can you wrap that up in, in a few minutes? Like, is that even possible to do, Jeff? Sure. I mean, well, I mean, I don't know if it's possible to, to wrap it all up. But, I mean, so I'm not sure where most people's background comes from. But we were kind of like doing, at Amazon, we were doing container-like things like a lot of companies were for a long time, even before Docker and before we had really popularized the term container. Um, I mean, I was even doing it when I was at Arizona State, but they all looked like Simlink farms or a whole bunch of other like really kind of grotesque ways that we were isolating these file systems or getting uh, fancy pointers to different file systems that we could flip around at deploy time. Um, but really, like, I think it's, it's helped people not so much change the way that they think about stuff, because I think that we've been using, you know, file system isolation uh, to think about deployment for a long time, even when we were doing virtual machines. Um, but it's definitely helped us 
confusing. It kind of, kind of forces us to. Um, and I think that's refreshing, which is a little bit of a philosophically purist. Um, but I mean, it's, it's been great. Um, I think we've gotten a lot more agile. We've gotten, um, a lot more, like, I think one of the biggest ways it's impacted me in the way that we work is, um, we're able to, to test a lot more easily, um, with a lot, like our functional testing capabilities have kind of gone crazy. Um, yeah. which is fantastic. Um, so I'm kind of ranting, but I no, mean, aside from, aside from the book, like, I mean, it's, it's been a really, it's been a, a crazy, like, what is it like five years that I've been doing this now and, and help have a lot of really great conversations with people along the way. Um, so it's been, it's been pretty awesome so far. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good rep. I like that. Uh, Steven, you got anything to add to that? Can you, uh, one up him on, on the best analogies. <laughs> well, you know, I was really adopting containers to solve the the application distribution and and like the basic distribution and runtime problems that I was just tired and frustrated of dealing with. So, you know, I come from a software development and product development background and I was just frustrated with uh, getting my applications out there and getting the right things out there and doing that quickly and and provide getting a, a fast path to production and so Docker really helped me solve a whole bunch of problems uh, by using containers and the Docker image format. So you know that I'm like woohoo! And you know we we've gone from this world where you had like very simple deployments, and in fact, this the orchestration system that uh, I initially helped set up and and popularized, like that one is actually still in use. Like it's fascinating. I mean, and I keep encouraging them to move off it, but like <laughs> <laughs> like you know, there's there's way better stuff now, right? But like the fascinating thing is that it actually still works. Right. Yeah, I do have a, a client that um, they did adopt Docker uh, fairly early, but uh, it was before there was any uh, container orchestration that had really matured, and they um, uh, they just they just set up a whole bunch of automation around auto scaling groups on on um, AWS, and um, they basically have you know they've isolated by auto scaling group instead of by you know mm -hmm. docker you know swarm stack or whatever and uh it's funny it's to get them over the hump to orchestration it's a whole lot of work with very little payout <laughs> uh it adds it certainly adds flexibility for anything new but they're kind of set they don't have a lot of new apps deploying constantly they update the same thing over and over that they so they need a good deployment solution and they kind of have all that like they use the aws tooling so they keep coming back, I don't know, like every six months and saying, hey, uh, any new reasons for us to use orchestration? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so I have, a, I have a client in that same situation. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's very interesting. It, it's, it's kind of funny. Like we, I, probably four or five times in the last two years, I've had these really meaningful conversations where people keep bringing up the word legacy. And... Uh, you know, whether it's legacy software or legacy orchestration system or like just their their legacy way of doing these things, of, of doing things. And I have to keep having these conversations around like, well, what does that actually mean to you? Right. And the for me, the so for some people, they're just like, oh, it's old. And it's like, sure, sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but some time has passed. But I promise you, you can you can write software today that will be legacy tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and so like, so what really like getting down to like, what really is it that makes it legacy? This, this super bad word. Um, and so then I have to start having questions around like, okay, well let's narrow it down. Like, let's talk about like hiring pool. Like, are you using a language that you consider legacy? Why do you consider it legacy? Well, because like one in 10,000 people, you, you, you can only hire like one in 10,000 people because of this constraint. Yeah. That, legacy or if you're if it's a system that no one understands in your in your company like you've had the, the brain drain or human capital flight has just taken all of that away then that has become legacy right and so i always come back around it's like well if you have an old system that is well documented 
that works and fulfills its needs that isn't facing like a scaling strain or something like that, then I'm not sure like then like why replace it, right? Like yeah. this isn't this isn't like and, and even if you do come into a case where like you it works, you just don't know about it, like maybe just in take the time to learn about it, it would probably be way cheaper than replacing it. Um yeah. so you know, like when it comes to like, there was, uh, I think Steven uh, shared like one of his favorite Hacker News threads a couple years ago, which was like, it was just an open question for like, hey, how are you deploying containers? Like, how are you orchestrating containers? Like this was pre, this was like before all the orchestrators really took off. And it was awesome because rather than a whole bunch of like weird pedantic conversation, there was like, a thousand people who just threw up a thousand different major configurations for how they were doing this stuff. And it was working for them. They were all right. really excited to share it. Um, and I can't even imagine how many of those are still in use today uh, for those early adopters that got something working. Right. So, I mean, right. I think it's a lot like because even the argument uh, or the, the conversation around like, Hey, let's consolidate what you're doing over here with what you're doing over here and like get everyone to Kubernetes or ECS or, or whatever it is. Like, you know, you end up with these discussions about like, well, I need, to, you know, that work needs to be funded and uh, you know, like you actually have to go do it. And you know, a lot of that doesn't tie back to things that you're going to be measuring like throughput of changes or latency of changes um, or like risks that you're talking about. Right. Uh, so, you know, I think there's, it's, it's like, and, and having, and actually having a, a good discussion around what people's strategy is, um, that, you know, that, that can be a rare kind of discussion. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and doing that in a thoughtful way. Yeah. Rare in the fact that it's, you kind of have to force it, right? Like a lot of, uh, I, I think, I think with a lot of new clients, uh, uh, for especially for me at least, uh, you know, that the, the conversation. Well, and it's partly my fault because I'm I advertise myself as a container guy, and so they very quickly talk to me about containers, and then I start asking about the deeper plan and the measurable outcomes and stuff like that. The things that kind of DevOps are sort of supposed to drive, and there's not a lot of it. Right, it's not it's not heavily right. based on that. It's heavily based on what well, we were told to adopt this technology or by our management, or we were told by the internet that this technology is what we need to use, <laughs> and that once we do it, then we'll figure out our benefits and our advantages. Uh, you know, when sometimes uh, I've seen certain cases where, especially with orchestration, people have deployed orchestration and they actually lose visibility and increase risk, uh, especially with security, yeah. because they just don't that those aren't fundamentals on the get go of outcomes. Right, so. So madness, like the, the, I don't know, maybe I don't want to start talking about this, but like just the, the marketing component to tech adoption or the marketing component to, to really anything. So like if I'm a, a, if you like trip and fall into a random corner of the web, like it's really easy to think that no one has ever written any software that doesn't run on Node.js, right? <laughs> like there, there is no other build tool other or packaging tool other than NPM. Yeah. Um, but if you trip and fall another way it, or like, then you'll like discover that like, I don't even know some ridiculous number of questions on like stack overflow or like about C plus <laughs> plus, like, like random C plus plus for embedded systems questions or, yeah. and it's just, so it's really easy to fall into the echo chambers. Um, especially when it's like the echo chambers are designed to capture as many people as possible as we've seen with like a lot of the CNCF stuff. Like I like, like, don't get me wrong. Like they've got a lot of great tech and they've got a lot of really powerful people behind them and like great engineers across the board and they're well-intentioned, but like the, the orchestration war was kind of a funny thing because it, like it was mostly a, a marketing battle. Yeah. And, you know, like, like I wrote about in 2017, like it wasn't always the most, uh, like with, with the secrets article, like it really wasn't the most honest marketing battle, um, at, at times, right? Like it turned into checkbox war and whatever. Yeah. Wasn't that on me? Did you do that on medium? Yeah. I'm going to try to pull that out for people. Yeah. 
I think anyone, anytime someone says de facto standard, yeah, that's that's a tell, right? Uh, and I, I I now pick up on that whether uh, whenever I get feedback about something or I'm reading something, uh, when somebody says that X is the de facto standard for Y, and X is not 15 years old or 10 years old. Like, um, or if it really is, I don't, I'm not sure it's, it's the, the, the jury is back yet. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, yeah. Uh, is it the secrets and liabilities? Yeah. 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 Basically. I mean, it was like a, it was really what it was really like a, intended to be a survey of like how to manage secrets and containers in early 2017. And I kind of like because like two or three products had had just rolled it out, including Docker, um, and Docker and Rancher and and a couple of others, um, and so we kind of I took like I tried to come up with some like I'm an application guy like I come across as very DevOps heavy because that's kind of what I've been doing publicly for like since 2014 since I left Amazon, but really like I, I focus on DevOps a lot because as an application developer, I like, I really truly believe like I can't understand my application if I don't understand how to run it. Um, and so, so I kind of stepped back and said like, as an app dev, as a DevOps person, like, what do I want? Like with, with good secret fundamentals in mind, like what would I really want out of a secret management system and came up with some pretty objective criteria and then evaluated like six or seven different things on it and kind of came down to Kubernetes and discovered that every, we had been lied to since 2014 um, about the viability of secrets. Um, so like that was that was particularly crappy, but yeah. they responded in a very positive way. Like, uh, you know, a, a bunch of people were really like vocally self-critical and they had a, 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 a pretty good uh, round two strategy for for dealing with like how to keep content in kubernetes safe um i have no idea to what degree it's been adopted because it's not like a default tool um so but it's better than nothing yeah yeah and and i think the 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 road for every team is so different i mean in terms of uh maturing and adopting technology and that it's uh, you mentioned you mentioned the echo chambers, and I was just I was at the time I was thinking, yeah. And one of the problems is Google Search will create an echo chamber for you in your own searching. So one of the challenges in tech is like there's a lot of times where I want my search engine to give me the things I want. It knows I like Docker the container system and not Docker the pants. So it <laughs> it, it doesn't show me pants right whenever I search things. Right. Because it knows me. And, but the challenge is when you're trying to understand opinion, right, or trying to understand uh, uh, whether adopt, to adopt a tool, there's almost a certain, I feel like, like we all need to make a habit in, in tech that we go use you know, DuckDuckGo or some other you know, search engine that will make us mm -hmm. generic so that we get a more valid uh, sort of non-echo chamber result out of our searching because, I mean, a lot of times people talk about political stuff with that, but I think it's just as bad in tech or any other thing you're researching. I'm into sous vide cooking, which is yeah. cooking, cooking with water. And if I search about sous vide, I'm only going to find, Google's only going to show me all of the recipes and all the positive things. It's not usually going to show me any other types of cooking that are, alter that are alternate to well, sous vide. Like just like I mean, really, like search engines in general, not not even like the the adaptive result kind of stuff that you see with like Google or like reinforcement algorithms, but like just search engines in, in general, like like search is absolutely awful for discovering unknown unknowns. Mm. And and as a human, like as soon as you get like a little bit of flavor for like some keywords that you don't know something about, like those become your hooks. So. Most people are like, hey, how do like they want to know like realistically like how can they how can they achieve like automated high availability or like automated like like downtime reaction or like really like the orchestration of, of applications wherever they are and one of the first keywords they're going to hit is Kubernetes yeah. um, and so that's what they're going to be searching for so of course it's going to just reinforce based on the fact that it's the only term that they know just like so when when in 2013 2014 when Docker really boomed um, 
like really no one like a container was was literally like something you put something in like it was no one no one like was super familiar with with the term of the the abstraction um and so when people were searching for how to do this thing the thing that they searched for was docker yeah right that was that was the entity the named thing that they could wrap their mind around um because it was the tool it was also a company and so like especially early on you'd be like how do i get things in the dockers um, or like, you know, like we, you know, how do I dockerize this thing? Or I want to use Docker for yeah. running on AWS. And it was like, well, it was the Docker story for a lot of people. It wasn't the, how do I isolate my applications or use containers? Um, yeah. So like, I just, I hate search engines. Like I can't, you can't, you have to get like really inventive. Like it's the kind of garbage. So that um, so if if this was uh, one of those podcasts or, or shows where they re-record they they cut it, edit it all up and they put the uh, something from the middle of the show into the beginning as a teaser, it would be so. Basically, we hate search engines. Yeah. <laughs> they create bias. They create they create echo chambers. Um, well, but, yeah, they're just so, awful for discovery, right? Like they're just garbage for knowledge discovery. Yeah. So, but this is I think this is another. Uh, way of, of talking about how the convenience of search has really taken us away from more structured ways of, of learning and understanding a topic. So, uh, you know, whether you're building something big or small, like, you know, there's a bunch of questions that you should be answering in, in any design or like whether some solution is going to work in a particular situation. And the probability of that of someone having just the right thing pop up in the top three search results uh, for your situation is close to nil. Um, And they're certainly not going to describe like all of the pain. Like they're going to, there's going to be all kinds of of bias towards talking about uh, the good stuff or maybe one of the problems. Um, Yeah. As long as long as it's like technically fun, like you know, my DNS uh, search results got messed up because console was doing you know five twelve UDP you know five twelve byte packets and the whatever service mesh was doing four ninety six or you know whatever it is, uh, like okay, uh, but you would never know to look for that problem until you encountered it yourself. Right. 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 And when I get that random error and I search Google and it says, sorry, zero out of five billion results found, <laughs> that takes a true engineer to go, okay, I'm going to fix it anyway. Right. Someone else hasn't fixed it for me. I'm going to have to figure this out. I think we had a conversation a couple of podcasts ago around like, um, you know, the way that I learned in the 90s uh, about how to deploy, we were shifting to TCP IP as the network protocol and... I went to Barnes and Noble, and because I was, I was in the Navy at the time, so I didn't have the money. So I would sit in Barnes and Noble and read the TCP TCP IP Unleashed book, which was this thick, and yeah, then yeah. I would go back to work and try to implement it. <laughs> Is that the Stevens book? <laughs> oh, I don't even know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was so long ago. I don't. I never owned it. I just. I didn't want to spend forty five dollars <laughs> on a book. So yeah, uh, it was. It was. Um, it was tough but at the time. I mean, I was making minimum wage essentially, so it was it was hard for me to justify that. Which is a good segue into your book. Let's let's show yeah. off uh, some coupon codes and some um, what we're talking about here. Let me see if I can. So Docker in Action Second Edition, and we're if you look up at the top, there is a discount code that gets you forty percent off of this top top book on docker so tell me about it somebody give me the uh the elevator pitch the elevator pitch so this is a book for people who want to find out what containers are about roughly how they work and why it's important to have an idea roughly how they work um it's it's really like a nice early a nice early book it's not cookbooky um there's a couple of really strong examples in there for like patterns to follow or whatnot um but it's we were trying to be like a very uh kind of medium level um this is how to use this thing 
Um, so if you go into it looking for like, hey, I have this Node.js app that listens on port 3000. I want to know exactly how to do it in the first paragraph of the book. Like, you're not going to enjoy the book. Um, if you are a sysadmin and you're like, I have to build a Kubernetes cluster and I need to know exactly what parameters to put into this thing, you're not going to enjoy that. Um, if you want to know roughly, like, if you want a strong idea what containers are, why they're powerful, roughly how they work, and and um, and good patterns for applying it, like this is a this is a great place to start. I uh, we were talking uh, briefly about uh, patterns because I think in containers. Often we focus on the tools. Uh, you know, we got to have Docker, we got to have Kubernetes, and one of the challenges about both, I think, Docker and Kubernetes, and especially Kubernetes, is they don't have patterns built into them on how to use them. So there's lots of you could, you know, unopinionated tools are great when you know the right way to use them. So let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, so so I think that speaks directly to some of the new content. So when the when the first edition was written, we didn't have patterns yet for building images and image pipelines and so forth. So that's the topic of chapter ten and like different ways you can tag things and what that some of the implications of those of different schemes. Uh, as well as like, how do I things like how do I slice up a, a container cluster uh, so that you know we have different security zones or um, that we protect secrets or or what have you, um, and and you know those are things that we know now uh, or at least we know more about now. Right. Uh, right. And you know, especially on the security side, I think uh, we still have. Uh, a long way to go in terms of merging security with application delivery. Um, but, you know, a lot, you know, there are people working on that. Yeah. Um, the, it, question, the big question is whether or not people really care, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so like, you know, for, as far as patterns in the book go, one of the, we, 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 I wrote the first edition in the third part, knowing specifically that that was going to be the thing that was going to change. And I straight up said it in the text, like, hey, like, we're going to talk about Swarm V1, um, knowing that this entire space is about to explode. But kind of like with, with the knowing, like, here are the things to think about in this space. These are the things that are kind of important. This is like how clusters work, et cetera. Um, in this book, we were focusing specifically on Swarm because it's a great little orchestrator that people can spin up straight away. And because really... Like we're actually kind of on the other side of this of this world where people are are kind of they're they're if you understand the idea of running service software and kind of like the goals behind it, um, then most of the knowledge is very portable. Um, there's bit between various orchestrators. Like there's right. some minor details. Like hey, how do I describe DNS entries or how do I describe how many replicas or whether or not this thing should be replicated or how do I attach the uh, disk um, and how do I reference that? Like those are, but those are very much so details. Like the right. big, the big ideas are really what we try to hit in chapter 11 um, and then refine on and get a little bit more specific into features of swarm and in, in, in chapter 12 and, and so on. Um, so, and that, but that wasn't really something that we could talk about too generally uh, in the, in the, in the first edition. So the second edition has got a lot more content around that, and I think it's it's really valuable. It's generalist um, that you can kind of take wherever you go. Um, so that's pretty cool. That's cool that um, I mean, I, and my my talks when I do uh, you know whether it's workshops or presentations, there is I try to focus more about opinionated patterns that I like and that I've seen success with other people rather than. Here's a bunch of here's a list of features now. Do with them what you wish, and it's right. cool that you're adding that to the book to add that uh, value. Like it would, um, I think, giving someone a tool. It's kind of like giving someone a hammer and saying, uh, "Good luck." <laughs> Don't teach them how to swing it. Don't teach them right. what they're supposed to hit with it. Just say it's a, it's a thing. You you hit things. And like, I, I would never want to write that book. Yeah. Like I would never want to. Like I, I just am not. Uh, I'm not terribly like it would it would age incredibly poorly, yeah. um, especially like I can't even imagine. I think I was telling Stephen this like I can't imagine writing a Kubernetes book, like that would be 
the, I, I have a lot of respect for the people who did it because like you just got to be a glutton for punishment because yeah. that thing changes so much. Yeah. Like it's it, like there's it's so big, so many pieces to it. It changes so much. Yeah. And the, yeah, like, hey, does, yeah, versions don't age well, right? <laughs> versions right, of a tool it, don't age well. Right. And like, honestly, between between the first edition and second edition of Docker in action, because we focus very much so on like user experience components, um, it was most of it aged really well. Um, so, you know, that was that was refreshing. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that by and large. All of the features that we talked about in the first edition still worked. Um, we but we needed to refresh it for uh, you know certain aspects for like how people tend to use those things now and and accommodate what we've learned and, and talk about like you know new new features that have been added uh, to say the docker run command right. um, yeah. Uh, Nigel Poulton, uh, a, a plural site and now a, a cloud guru author, is doing a Kubernetes this month show. I think he just finished his yeah. second one on uh, on a cloud guru on YouTube, and uh, I think it's fantastic th- that he's talked about the last two shows briefly about the releases of Kubernetes as they're getting boring. <laughs> he keeps talking about that, and uh, I love it because I think um, with a lot of these new tools. Uh, you know, especially Kubernetes, because it, it focused largely on functionality and not on ease of deployment or ease of use. And um, and I think that 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 was one of my always my criticisms of it was you know that how are how is the average person going to be able to deploy this if it doesn't if it's just a, a huge bundle of features that can be used wrongly or correctly or you know, and there's five different ways to actually deploy a container with different command lines that all seem to do the same thing at first, but then you realize later that those were bad patterns or whatever. So I love yeah. that it's getting boring and that um, that we can hopefully start focusing on opinion, uh, some more opinion stuff. And uh, like for the average developer who's not, maybe they're not doing IoT, they're just doing web services on the internet, maybe some worker things, and maybe it's legacy apps like show us some patterns um, and have the tools actually uh, like let's filter out all of the things and just focus on that. I think it would actually be cool to have Kubernetes books that were like Kubernetes for hosted web apps built in the last 10 years, like <laughs> filter everything right. out and then only show them a fourth of the features or a, th- you know, a fifth of the features that are well, just think, for that problem set. I think that's that's that would actually be a, a great thing to do, right? Like very very specific content, which I like ends up being closer to what people want to buy anyway. I think. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of like, I mean, you you've got your like Docker for Node.js course, right? And like that's that's fantastic because people who are using Node or who are doing front end development have very different patterns from people who are doing you know, like backend web service, not in node sort of yeah. stuff. It's a compiled language, right? So like their Docker file is going to look totally different. So like, it's not quite cookbooky. Um, it's, it's actually like the, the it's, it's, it's a specific and applied. Um, and that's, that's great stuff. So I think, uh, so one of my favorite DevOps things is uh, Matthew Skelton's DevOps Topologies site, where he goes through the different organizational patterns that people have and they're trying to use with DevOps and anti-patterns. And I think there's, in general, I think there's a, de- a deployment and delivery pattern that gets customized or specified for each of those topologies. But I think particularly in the in the uh, case for a Kubernetes, like you may need a cookbook for each of those right. patterns, uh, those organizational patterns, because the specifics are, are so different and, and Kubernetes is a distributed system toolkit. So like, you know, you have to create your own opinion and there's a, a Word doc or Excel, Google, Google sheet or something I was looking at the other day that someone had compiled uh, literally a list of 100 Kubernetes-related deployment tools, <laughs> and so you, you you there's this there's this massive ecosystem, and it's cool that people are developing and sharing these things, but it's super clear that there 
the the uh, on of the lack of influence on an opinionated deployment pattern like has had on the ecosystem yeah um, that's true that so, i'm trying to think of another i mean maybe you could argue that's the same thing with um you know like maybe deployment tools we had in the past with maybe a chef or puppet maybe they were very unopinionated um but i i always felt like you could never get in quite as much trouble with them as you could with some of the cool tools that we have now like kubernetes where um uh they and maybe that's just because of the power like because kubernetes has so much functionality and power in it uh and it was truly written um by operators for operators at least in my opinion like it was it's a perfect example of let's trade it create a toolkit and then maybe they should you know it's almost i wish we the, the branding and marketing was a little bit different it's like here's a low-level toolkit uh you need something else first like you need to pick a deployment toolkit on top of kubernetes um, right yeah almost like a uh like you uh some where was i recently uh basically helping you choose how you're going to use Kubernetes before you even use it. Like when you're on the site and it walks you through, oh, I know what it was. I was on Xbox's website looking at new games to play and they actually have this wizard, totally unrelated, but they have this wizard that walks you through uh, just basically big clicky buttons that say, which kind of gamer are you? And it takes you down this path and then it says, what kind of games do you like? What's your audio video setup? Uh, do you have family? Like all these things. And then it decides at the very end, it says, well, here's the Xbox you want because there's now like a dozen models and yeah. here's the games you would like that you should look at. And, I've, and you know, I love to show people the landscape uh, document with CNCF where it just, it's a sort of shock value of like, here's this gigantic PDF that's a thousand <laughs> tools. Good luck. <laughs> Dude, every time, oh my God, like, I, I don't even remember when it was. Someone posted this like, just really frustrated question like, well, how the hell do I even do XYZ in a cloud native way? And I, I don't know if it was like the president of the CNCF or some other freaking asshole in this context. He literally just posted a link to the goddamn, to, to the landscape page. And I wanted to like headbutt somebody through the internet. Like you click on it, it's just like, cool. You just sh literally shot a shotgun of BS and marketing. Yeah. Like it was like the least helpful response I've ever seen in my life. And it was like super frustrating for me. And I wasn't even facing down that question, but like, you know, like the customer obsession in me was just like, this was grotesque. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't even, couldn't even believe it that that just happened. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say with, don't show that with a straight face. Uh, Jerome Pettizoni does a similar thing in his uh, Kubernetes workshops where that he says, okay, this is what Kubernetes, uh, uh, he's yeah, giving you the intro, like this is your first 20 minutes in Kubernetes. He's like, this is what the architecture might look like. And he shows up this fantastic diagram that's like what an AWS full-on uh, advanced production diagram would look like. And you can't read anything on it because it looks like it, it's a mess. It's a spaghetti web. Right. And and then you go to the next slide and it, you realize you were just basically trolled. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's not, let's not get there yet. That's like the advanced stuff that maybe someday you'll look at. But really, you don't have to worry about that yet. Um, well, you're going to get 90% of the value of the, of the tool with three machines. Right. Right. And, and we just do the vanilla stuff. Like, like, the, like. Like my one of my biggest complaints about Kubernetes in general is just like I love composability, but like they took it to they 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 exploded the components out way too far and wide to the point where there were no sane defaults. Um, it was kind of like the opposite of of a Docker approach, which was kind of like batteries included but replaceable. Mm. Um, I thought you know pre swarm mode like Docker. Um, great level of of uh, composability. It wasn't too much, but it wasn't too little either. Yeah. It was it was approachable and a great API. And that's a um, hard thing to do, right? A hard thing to pull off the middle of the ground approach. That yeah, that super they, hard. That yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I'm just going to say, and as and as frustrating as facing certain limitations in say a uh, caught a, like an, an included deployment workflow whether you're talking about swarm or ecs or whatever having to build your own kind of from scratch um 
you know, now you have to build those abstractions of like, well, should I create, uh, you know, everyone, everyone needs an, a load balancer to expose their service. And like, should I invest in creating something that creates all these little resources that people need in, in, in some way? Um, or do I let people like write in their deployment YAML directly? And like, how do I keep, try to keep it dry? Do I, do I even try to keep it dry, et cetera? So, you know, it, it's, I'm glad that the, community is figuring it out. Um, but it's, it, I, I would say that, you know, it's just obviously a tremendous amount to try and keep up with and like make good decisions. And so when you're feeling that pain, like know that at least everyone else is along there with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I think letting, uh, letting the community figure it out is kind of like, it's, it's great on one hand and it's really garbage on the other because it's like it's taken three years before we've had solid patterns before we've had like, I mean, this thing is like continuously evolving and it's just really slow, but people have been trying to pursue Kubernetes for multiple years in in like a, a, a manageable way. Um, and I don't, still don't think that they're there, really. Like, even personally, like, I threw in the hat on trying to DIY. Like, I just say, <laughs> give me your managed option. That's right. right. Like, I mean, I could certainly do it, but there's there's no value add. Like, it, for me, it's not a force-multiplying tool. Um, just yeah. not that interesting. Yeah, and I think that uh, those, since we're really talking talking to, you know, three people that have been in the, the weeds with this stuff, uh, for those of you listening... I would. I'm just going to guess that the recommendation. You would agree with the recommendation that uh, whenever you do an orchestrator, uh, especially Kubernetes, uh, if there is a managed option, take it. Um, and if there's a distribution option, that's second best. And I would say the third best is roll your own. Even though you maybe want to be geeky, like maybe do that in your lab, and you want to play with stuff. Great. If you want to maybe have sort of a experimental cluster just so that you can learn the stuff, that's fine. But I think for a company, an organization, uh, you're one. You're not going to be there forever, and someone has to take it over. And a lot of people don't take that, take that into consideration when they're building out these fancy open source tools. So I always would rather have that managed option uh, because it's much more sustainable. There was someone recently on Reddit uh, this week, I think, that was saying, "I don't." Uh, it was a sort of conversation about Swarm versus Kubernetes, and they said, "I don't see what the big deal is with Kubernetes." In four hours, I was in. I was in. I w- had my deployment working, and everything was fine. And it came to find out that they were using uh, Kubernetes managed on Google Cloud, which yeah. that's the goal, right? That's what we want. Right. We want. <laughs> we want this that's easy right. tool. Yeah, use that all day long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they uh, right now. I think they're they're the best place to be if you're going to do managed Kubernetes. They're the the fastest to deploy and all that stuff. So. Yeah, and if you are going to run your own, you need to develop and test a cluster upgrade path and node replacement path, like as part of your <clears throat> your original project. Like, don't delay that, because what you'll what you want to f- discover is all of the challenges of like actually performing cluster upgrades and keeping up to date in your own environment with all of you know your net you know your load balancers and and all this stuff that that drew you to deploy that on-prem or or wherever it is um and you know automate the heck out of that so that you can you can actually keep up to date because you know i I know people who are stranded uh on one six or one seven or whatever because they can't they don't have time to update their ingress controller setup or whatever Yeah, yeah, and they didn't maybe test it, uh, and that's a bit. That's some great advice. Like uh, before you go into production with well, really any of these tools, but especially Kubernetes, because it doesn't have a one-click auto update feature or anything like that. Um, that you definitely need to take that uh, staging cluster and deploy it on an old version, and then update all the tools. Like I have everything on an older version, maybe just one version old. Update all those tools as if it was in production, and see if the up the update path was satisfactory because I think it's easy when you it's it's not easy on any of the components and when one component needs to be updated 
you maybe need to update that separately from everything else, and that update is going to be different. And it it's just it gets really hairy. And um, I do like the a swarm update path of just doing a Docker update on a node, or really just replacing nodes with newer versions. But um, but the reality is on Swarm, it, once you get a full-fledged cluster too, that's still going to be problematic because now you've got containers running your load balancer. Um, you've got other services in there that are all going to be, uh, they're going to have to swap nodes because you're going to want to update those nodes, which means usually rebooting. Yeah, there's just yeah. a lot to it. And yeah, uh, yeah that's really like, I never want to get to that point. Like you don't, you don't ever want to have like the one big ass cluster, right? Mm-hmm. Like it really, like you're always going to, and, and I don't know why this has not been a higher priority at Docker. Like I was talking to them about this in 2015 about cluster federation. It's like, yeah. look, in reality, like clusters shouldn't be pets either. And if you're building a system that requires them to be pets, like you're letting everybody down. For it, they shouldn't be pets for the same reason that, that like our virtual machines shouldn't have been pets. Right. Right. So like I like to, the first thing I do is I, I create a little book. And I put a little like a label on the front of it that just says hammer. And it says like, this is exactly what I need to do in order to just destroy everything safely. Right. Like here's the DNS that needs to change. Here's the data that needs to be replicated and migrated. And like this checklist of the actual state and resources that identify our services uniquely. And I can, I can spin those up wherever I can, you know, like, lease a you know some colo space and you know get some f5s or whatever and 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 get some use and throw my stuff on there up on like you know just on virtual machines if i want to um if i have that little book if you let yourself just like oh yeah we've got we're running production in our kubernetes cluster like singular like you're gonna have a bad time i don't care if it's a kubernetes cluster or a docker cluster or your vmware cluster or whatever it is like it's going to be bad. That's the new yeah. street cred. That's yeah. the street cred is no longer I'm uh, I'm running Docker or I'm running Kubernetes. I honestly don't care if you're running any of those tools. It's that how much of your stuff can I take down and you quickly redeploy it? Like right. you know, can I take down servers and nothing happens? I mean that you know, Chaos Monkey is great and all that, but uh, can I just kill this container or can I? What what yeah. if you know those servers disappear in AWS or in DigitalOcean or whatever? Uh, how long will it take you to have everything fully back up? And t- that recovery is, to me, the, the true street cred of, of DevOps is like, you know, we might have great backups and they might be hourly or whatever, but if you don't have that process just like almost entirely automated for recovery on that, um, I, I would prefer you work on that than, you know, deploy a new fancy orchestrator. Yeah, forget about that, all right? Like that's that's like the least interesting to me, thing to me possible. It's like, I don't even care, like, Oh, we're running the the previous version of Vistio or something like that. It's like, well, does it work? Do you actually have any problems? Is there like a major security vulnerability? Is it being attacked? Like, what? Why? Why are we putting our effort into this? Um, right. And, well, and, and along with that recovery capability, you get the ability to update and roll out changes to your base images. So whether right. that's you know an improvement in a logging subsystem or you know a, a docker upgrade and so forth and you can set up testers so, sorry clusters dedicated to testing and run platform level tests against them so that before you roll that image uh and by image i mean like virtual machine image or whatever it is that you're you're running your container cluster nodes with and before you deploy that you've actually tested uh, your like your base artifacts for that cluster, so that when they do roll into like an environment that other people are going to be using, you can say, yeah, 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 this passed our forty-five whatever platform tests. Yeah, uh, and like that's that's part of being an engineer and like like having uh, a robust and and engineering process for delivering service to whoever your internal and external customers are in my view i like it well uh we have we have gone past our hour but that's just because these are great conversations and i am so glad to have you both on the show this is stuff that we could talk about all day um we're definitely going to do this again because i think we 
we should be talking about security and uh, there's so many other topics that, that we could, ch- could cover. Um, like diving into all the security stuff is going to be a fun thing. Um, but uh, thanks again for being on the show. You can uh, you can find Stephen on Twitter and Jeff on Twitter at the, the links below. Don't forget to get your copy of Docker in Action, uh, which is available where all books are sold. And the coupon directly from Manning, I believe, is in the chat. So you can get 40% off that. Um, real quick, uh, where other than Twitter, uh, can what, where else can people find you on the internet if they want to reach out? Jeff? Uh, Twitter is really the best place. Um, we're doing some new exciting work at gotopple.com, but it's really not a whole lot there yet. Uh, but Twitter is, I try to centralize everything there. Cool. So you can reach me on Twitter or I have a site, nodramadevops.com that I'll share, uh, where I talk about DevOps, uh, topics three times a week is the target. Wow. Uh, um, a lot of security, a lot of containers, a lot of AWS cloud. So well, good on you for three times a week. Um, I'm one of those standard people that my blog entries sometimes are not in the same year. <laughs> so I'm glad yeah, you're sharing. I have to be particularly motivated these days to actually get one out. I have something like 175 drafts. Uh, <laughs> you can't commit. You can't commit. No, yeah. no. Well, thank you, Brett, and thank you, everyone. Yeah, thanks for being yeah. here, and thank you, uh, thank you all for uh, watching the show. Of course, we'll be back here next Thursday. We might have guests, we might not, but uh, we'll definitely. Uh, if you if you want to have these two great. Uh, authors of the Docker in Action book back on the show, please say so by thumbsing up on this video. Thumbs up on this video. I just made up a new word. Thumbs thumbs in. Um, And then also just say something in chat if you uh, want to have topics for them to talk about in the future. If you had questions we weren't able to get to, uh, sorry about that. We will, I'll try to answer them in chat real quick after the show goes, uh, after we stop the show. Uh, But we all have a a hard stop to get to our next, the next thing we're going to do. And, um, Thank you so much. We'll see you next week on YouTube Live. Thanks a lot. Thank you. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.